0: you know everybody thinks uh, you know everything's a pizza you know if it's if it takes longer than it was supposed to it must be free if i'm not happy with it it's free yeah. we're in a we're in an industry that just just doesn't work you know there's if a job's not perfect it's not perfect but it doesn't make it have no value welcome to all things wood floor brought to you by wood floor
1: business i'm your host steve diggins and today we have tim nassis of woodchuck floors toronto canada We're going to talk a little bit about vertical integration in the hardwood flooring supply chain, how it compares to the U.S. market, changes in the flooring business uh, models post and pre-pandemic, and what we've learned from it all. It's all things wood floor, so welcome Tim Nassis, Woodchuck Floors, once again, floor pros around the world. Let's get to it. (laughs) All right, Tim Nassus, Woodchuck Floors. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor. Hey, Stephen, how are you? <laughs> Good. Finally, get a chance to meet you. We've spoken and have a chance to kick a lot of this off. Um, did you recently? Was it this year or recently that you guys won with Wood Flooring Business Magazine, or you uh, got a, a retailer award?
0: Yeah, yeah. So outstanding retailer of the of the year award. So that was uh, that was really nice to to be recognized for uh, you know many years in the industry and, and a lot of hard work, especially. You know, during the last uh, couple of years with COVID, you know, business has changed. There's been some challenges, but you know, we've 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 carried on and we've remained successful. Uh, we're we're happy to keep doing it.
1: And then you're well. Let's see. So I looked online. I think uh, you and was it your brother took over in 2007?
0: Yeah. So you know, my dad's retirement was uh, was more like a military coup. <laughs> um, I, I as in a lot of uh, a lot of people that are in family businesses, they can relate to the fact that there's some butting of heads, as it were. So, um, my dad was about uh, just about 60, and uh, we sort of came to the conclusion that it was time to, to make a transition. Uh, he had been doing it for you know, since 1970. He'd be working 60, 70 hours a week, and we just decided that uh, we would change reins, and uh, so his exit was clean, um, well as clean as it can be. And so I took over with my brother, but I'd been working with my dad since I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So. You say you started in what, 70, 1970? Yeah, the business started in 1970. Um, and I started with my dad when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old, uh, summer job. Uh, it was, yeah, it's it had a lot of experience in the industry. It was actually a funny story. When I worked for my dad, the first time I had a summer job, I worked for my dad and you know, as kids do, you get back to school and we were, we were sitting around with my friends and they were like, well, yeah, who had a summer job? How much money did you make, you know? Um, and some of the guys, well, I made 1500 bucks. I made $2,000. bucks." i am like, oh, I made $6,500. dollars like, oh, my goodness. Like, you must have been making like 15, dollars $20 bucks an hour. I'm like, no, I made $3.25 an hour. I was working 60, 70 hours a week, no overtime minimum wage at the time was 375 so I was working for my dad making 325 and well wow. litigation is still in progress on that one so <laughs> well you, yeah you said it was
1: like a coup it doesn't
0: sound like you left quietly <laughs> yeah well it was uh, yeah it's it's the challenges of family businesses are certainly uh, there I can sympathize with anybody's that's a second or third or more generation of family business it's hard to make it work
1: how was it when it was set up with your dad was it did, was it retail? Because there was no internet or anything. Was it, was it so install? My dad,
0: yeah, what was the profile? My dad basically started uh, as an installer and a finisher. Um, he worked for one of the bigger companies in Toronto. Uh, as a lot of guys did then, they, they worked for five or six years. They went on their own. Um, and he just, he grew. He went from him, uh, him and a helper to him, uh, a couple of helpers in the garage. We bought our first location down in the south end of Toronto there. On Raleigh Avenue uh, in the sort of early mid '80s, uh, yeah, and we he expanded from there. Um, we we used to do a primarily sand and finish installations, um, okay. but then when I started working for my dad, I kind of said to him, "Like, you know, we're buying all these uh, these sundries, these supplies. We're buying flooring. We're all buying from either the manufacturer or." in that case of manufacturers we were buying direct from for sandpaper and urethane and wood uh, We were the first dealer in in the GTA in the greater Toronto area for Bruce We brought pre-finished product to the market uh, old you know that's C8 c9 mm-hmm. a wax finish heavy bevel we, we sold truckloads of that stuff. Out of our series, location D4. D5, yeah, exactly. Yep. All of that stuff. Light and natural, so, but at and the rim. time I suggested to my dad, it's like, why don't we start, you know, selling those supplies, you know, the urethane and everything like that to some of the smaller guys. Um, and he was like, I don't know, grunted something in Greek and didn't say no. So I produced my first contractor price list, uh, back then. And I, I did it on Lotus one, two, three, and printed it on a Daisy wheel printer, Whoa. ran it, ran it through the uh, the biggest photocopier probably that's ever existed. And that was it. It was our, our kind of our pro shop and our, our contractor sales were born. Maybe in Greek, he was saying
1: vertical integration. <laughs> you were one of the, <laughs> yeah, you were maybe. the one of the first to go down that route. You were looking in both directions. Was it, um, who was involved at the time? Was
0: everybody? Is this you and your brother, your dad? Did your dad still hang on with you guys? Um, yeah, I mean, that was back in the early times. I mean, I, it was me working for my dad. I, I left high school. I, I started working for him uh, directly out of high school. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I didn't go to college. I didn't go to university. It, it was, didn't seem to make uh, mathematical sense to me. I I sort of knew what I needed to do. I, I learned on, on the fly. And I was getting paid for, for doing something as opposed to paying somebody else to teach me something. So, you know, just kind of went that way. I read
1: online you, you had posted that you have a PhD in common sense. Those are the yeah. – well, you can appreciate those people. Please, I don't care where you come from. I don't care about your degree, your background. Yeah, what level. you know, education super sense.
0: important. But, yeah. you, you know, experience always beat what you can read in a book, right? I mean, if you found a doctor that said, hey, I've read every book about your condition, but I've never actually done the surgery, you probably wouldn't trust him. Very much. <laughs> no, you probably
1: wouldn't. So that was a lot of hard knocks. And then um, did did you you have to, you physically got out, installed, sand, finished, edging, staining, all that
0: yeah. you did. Yeah, as a, as a kid, that's uh, that's what I was doing. You know, like 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. I was out uh, on the tools, With uh, the rest of the the guys that my dad employed, all the all the tradesmen, Uh, that evolved eventually into me doing more uh, more estimates. I would go out and and, and do our estimates, and the estimating department give people pricing. Um, And then as things drew, you know, I I came sort of off the road. Our our retail wholesale business was really growing, so you know, working the showroom uh, started. You know, just gradually, you start taking over more responsibility, doing the buying. Um, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was. Back then, did you get your
1: own? Did you did you get your flooring from a
0: distributor, or how did that work? So the Toronto market was kind of um, a little unique. There wasn't a lot of uh, f- true distribution channels available to uh, to to us. So a lot of the big retailers, uh, there were maybe five, half a dozen of them in the Toronto area. At the time, we were buying or uh, doing enough volume that the manufacturers were dealing directly with us. So we were buying with unfinished. We were buying directly from the mills. We were bringing it in from the states um, with sundries like urethane, Fabulon, uh, old oil-based finish, sandpapers from Norton. Uh, all that stuff was coming direct from the manufacturer, and we were we because we had a, a business going. We were reselling it we were able to, to keep the volumes up. The, the manufacturers were happy with us and, you know, that's kind of remained to this day. So we do sell to retail, but a lot of our business is that wholesale contractor or small builder type of business um, where we, where we give them the supplies and then they handle their own installation or finishing.
1: It's funny when I started out, I had a boss that was the North, um, North American uh, representative for uh, Tripack, which was Bruce at the time, it wasn't an Armstrong yep. thing, and he used to have this saying in distribution where we are. He'd say, "You know, you can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't stand and finish floors and then go settle the play." He goes, "Well, unless you're in Canada."
2: <laughs> so there's yeah. a lot
1: of companies like yours. You you're integrated forwards and back, selling to the locals but buying from the mills. Is that something that you you can still do today? It doesn't happen here. I mean, it barely happens here. If you're buying in that capacity, it's from smaller mills, et cetera. But can you still do that up in Canada? Does that work?
0: Uh yeah, certainly. I mean, we don't do as much unfinished in the last couple of years as we used to. But when we were, we were buying it direct in trailer loads out of the out of the mills in the U.S. We were buying, bringing it out of Wisconsin, and yeah, it was full trailer loads. I mean, we, we when we when we resold. Uh, Flooring, like unfinished and stuff like that, it was because we invested in, you know, we were bringing in 16,000 feet of, uh, of mixed widths, you know, you know, the, the mills always want you to keep the uh, the mix there, right? You, don't, you can't take all two and a quarter them better. Right. Um, and you know, we did that. We were, we were, we we're doing a couple of trucks a month and we were bringing it in. The volume was there. So, and that's still something we do. We don't do as much of it just because unfinished has gotten so costly. Sure. Uh, by the time you put the sanding and finishing on it, you know, and people also want, you know, they want seven inch hand-scraped white. So, you know, pre-finished is, it makes that just so much easier. You know, trying to do that on site is, is, is cost prohibitive.
1: So do you have crews that do install and crews that do sand and finish or both? Or how
0: we do 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 still some sand and finish and installs, but it's, it's very small. I mean, we, Where we used to do, you know, five, seven jobs a day, you know, running five and six, 10 crews, you know, now we do four or five jobs a week and, you know, we price them accordingly. I have a dedicated team that does that. We don't, uh, you know, if, if it's too expensive, there's, there's lots of guys out there, go ahead and do it. It's kind of just a niche business for us. Um, We'll take on the projects that are probably a little over the head for the majority of the of the smaller sand and finisher install guys. They just want to go in, bang in a living room and dining room and get out of there, So
1: is it typically different in Canada than the U.S.? Because I've, I've spoken with three different folks like you in Canada in the last year, and they all have a very similar model. They, they're kind of chief cook, bottle washer. They've, they're covering everything.
0: Yeah. I mean, myself, one of the reasons why, um, you know, we, we sort of changed directions when my dad was with the company. It was kind of like he he lived to work and I wanted to work to live. So what I've done in the last, you know, five or six years, 10 years is really become um, a business owner and I, I run a business. So, um, yeah, I'm familiar with all those things, but I haven't worked the showroom in probably, you know, five or 10 years. I have guys that do that, you okay. know. Um, I don't go out and visit sites. I have an estimator that works for me. And I take care of all the back office stuff, you know, because running a business these days is not like it was 20, 30 years ago. I mean, there's so many, you know, you have compliance issues, you have, you know, privacy issues. All of these things create complexity in a business. Uh, you know, back in the day, there was no such thing as either, either workers' compensation or insurance or things like that. We have to deal with all those those rules and regulations now, and that that back office stuff, uh, that's a job just by itself. So I lead, I hire guys, I put I, I, I train my guys well, I treat them well, um, and they do a good job. And I'm I, you know we, we make sure that we work together as a team. They have their 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 roles to fill, and I have one.
1: Well, that seems to happen when you're when you're vertically integrated in two directions like that, which is simply. Um, you know, how many middlemen can you cut out? The the trick to it, it's 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 usually highly functional. The problem is, as, as you're saying, uh, is all the extra that goes into the new jobs that you're taking on. Like now you're handling freight and bringing in material and returns and customer service and all those other hats. Do you have to juggle those hats all day long or you pretty much got it spread out?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I leave it, if I, if I give a responsibility to one of my guys, they, they own that responsibility. So I don't get involved unless, uh, you know, the the building's on fire and the sprinkler system has failed. So, you know, even when it comes to dealing with clients, I really trust my guys enough. Hey, you guys deal with it. You, you started it, you estimated it, you owned it, you're familiar with the job. Do I have to get involved? Of course, because it's my business. I need to sometimes, you know, uh, Speak to clients and, and and sort out things, but that's that is usually when it, that's the exception. Because uh, if it becomes the rule, then I might as well have just done it in, in the first place. How do you keep and train people in those positions? That that's always the tricky part, right? Uh, it's tough. Yeah. yeah, you gotta you gotta treat people well these days. Um, sometimes it's not just about uh, about money. You know, everybody needs to make a good wage. You know, costs of things are going up. Uh, everybody's everybody wants to make more money, obviously. But I found a lot of a lot of people, a lot of my employees, they also want to be told that they're doing a good job. Sure. They, they want to be rewarded um, when they go above and beyond. You know, I'm not a big fan of job descriptions. You know, we we have them, and that's kind of where the world is gone. You know, but I don't like to hear you know that that's not my job. You know, it's everybody's job to uh, to to make sure the business is successful. And if the business is successful, then everybody should reap the rewards, not just me. Uh, You know, I I shouldn't be driving around in a a Lamborghini on a private yacht while my guys toil away because that sends the wrong message to them, too. Right. And it doesn't create a good uh, working relationship. So, you know, I try to treat my guys well, Um, you know, little perks here and there. Uh, A few weeks ago, I I couriered, you know, 10 cases of beer to one of my guys place because, you know, he went above and beyond. So, you you know it's not really a, it's not the huge it's not a huge cost I mean what is it three or four hundred dollars but it shows that you're thinking about somebody and it shows that you appreciate uh, the, the effort they've put in and when they've gone above and beyond now yeah, that makes sense like you said that's the biggest problem in our industry right now is is not
1: well it used to be getting qualified people now it's basically getting people uh, and yeah. you're hoping to take your your better more trained people and have them somehow be shadowed by the newer people? Because they all want to learn, but you, you know, flooring, don't care how ambitious you are, you're not going to learn that in a day or two or overnight or a year. You might learn, it might take you that long to learn how to sharpen a scraper or clean a corner, but then you get on to the machines and the equipment. Uh, it's it's very, very difficult. About how many people do you have out there in the field every day?
0: Um, total in, on staff, we have about 10, 12 people. Okay. Um, you know, in the office are, are, outside, you know, as I said, we don't do a lot of installs, So most of my guys are, are in the office, you know, I've got what three or four full-time sales guys in the office Uh, we're open on Saturdays. So they alternate Saturdays. So they, you know, when they, when they work on Saturday, they take a day off during the week, just because, you know, everybody needs some downtime. You can't have people working every day; uh, otherwise, they get burned out.
1: Well, I imagine if you're that progressive, then you, you're working online sales too, as as well.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. About uh, probably a four or five years ago, um, we we decided to open uh, an online store specifically for our contractor business. So, for the sundries, um, you know, when a guy's going out to, to sand and finish Mrs. Jones's house he knows what he needs. You know, he needs uh, some sanding belts. He needs his finish. He needs the stain. Uh, He doesn't need to touch and feel it. He doesn't need to, he he knows what he works with. He knows the products he likes to use. So we thought, you know, this is the time to do it. And it was a tough go uh, off the first, uh, first year or so, but honestly, the, uh, the pandemic was the best thing for it because now guys were, were sort of first forced to start doing things a little bit differently. And I mean, I know in my neighborhood, and I'm sure it's the same as yours, I mean, Amazon's on the street every single day, Constantly. right? People n- are now super comfortable with ordering online. So it saves guys a ton of time. Um, in some cases, it saves them a lot of money because we're now in a global market. You know, Toronto's a very competitive market. It's as competitive as big uh, US cities like Chicago, New York. Uh, so, yeah, you know what you need, order it a day later, two days later, it arrives on your porch and you know what, you don't have to spend time uh, go buying that or, or running around for it. I mean, there's always the time you might need to, but if you plan ahead, you could get all that stuff uh, online right you're doing. Are you having the same supply line issues that like
1: everybody is with different chemicals, different products, different country? How about in your case, bringing in from different countries? Is that, has that been
0: difficult? Yeah, it's, um, you know, we've brought products in from uh, years ago. We, we brought our own laminate line in from China. I went to China, uh, specified the product, d- designed it. D- we did I did all the marketing for it, the packaging. Uh, we have to be bilingual here. So we did the English, French translation. It was all compliant. And that product was good for us. Now that market sort of died out. Um, but we brought products in. I brought products in from China. I brought products in from, Europe, uh, the U.S. obviously, I mean, most of the unfinished mills are in the U, uh, in the U.S. So we're, we're super familiar with um, how things go across, for example, the Canada-U.S. border. So having that experience being on the Canadian side with being an importer um, gave us some ability to understand what people are, um, uh, what, what the stumbling blocks are. Um, and the U.S. is actually quite lenient on imports when it comes to taxes and duty. So any order, $800 US or less flows into the US from Canada, tax-free, duty-free. Okay. So there's really no issue. As long as you keep that order under that per day too. So you can bring one, an order in on Tuesday and bring one in on Friday and you're fine. You go over that amount, it's going to get flagged. But for the most part, that's a pretty reasonable order. I mean, I guess, I mean, there are guys that are buying Bigger orders than that, but you can break them up. At that point, as well, the freight really becomes kind of negligible. Um, but yeah, it, it's been really successful for it. Every month it grows. Uh, we have some customers in the Northeast, uh, in New York, uh, who are they're super good customers of ours. They order on a regular basis, and we're, we're doing well with it. It's, it's been it's been successful.
1: What are they ordering mostly? Not flooring, but mostly supplies.
0: Yeah. Sandpaper uh, finish. We're a Loba dealer. We're a Norton dealer. Mm-hmm. So those products, uh, yeah, they're ordering, they, they use the product. They know what they like. Uh, they'll order, you know, five, eight gallons of finish and two or three rolls of sandpaper, some belts, their edger discs. We package it up. It goes out by cour- courier. Um, and our customers in the Northeast, honestly, they're getting it with, if we ship it today, there's a good chance they'll get it tomorrow, if not the following day. So there's always challenges, but we work through them and we've, we've worked out a lot of the, the little hiccups along the way.
1: Is it easy to do the, uh, the collections and the payments? Is it all basically credit card or is it? A it's an online transfer? store.
0: So a long online store. So put in your credit card number and it fulfills your order for you. Gotcha. We uh, so how we've got it set up is we, we authorize the card online and uh you know, we make sure we've got everything because sometimes there could be a little. You know, if my if my website says I've got three lo- lo- rolls of sandpaper, but somebody happened to roll uh, order one at the same time, I might only have two. So we don't charge the card; it doesn't actually get processed until we make sure the order is complete, and then we send it send it out. And the site figures out the uh, the uh, the shipping, everything like that. You know what you're going to pay. The nice thing for our U.S. customers is we bill in Canadian dollars, so. As soon as that U.S. client gets it, they're going to get like 25%, 30% off as soon as it hits their credit card because they're going to convert it to U.S. dollars. So, you know, something that's uh, $10 here is more like, you know, $7 uh, or $8 when, when they get it on their credit card.
2: This episode is sponsored by Woodchuck Flooring, flooring and customer service experts with 52 years under their tool belts. The Woodchuck team loves to talk shop as much as we do. But when it's time to supply shop, they give you more floor and less chore. Show up to the job site like a superhero when you shop online for the latest in commercial and residential flooring supplies, maintenance tools, and the basics like nitrile gloves. They offer shipping nationwide. Get 15% off your first purchase of all the best quality stains, finishes, and supplies you need to activate your installation superpowers with the code WE CAN BE That's one word, all caps, WE CAN BE HEROES at shop.woodchuckflooring.com. That's it for now. Let's get back to Steve Diggins' talk with Woodchuck's own Tim Nassus.
1: We had done an article with you, and it about um, your company, and it was in Floor Business Magazine. And um, I, I know one of the bits of advice, and I agree with you, and this is in business and anything, was you had said, look, you got to make sure you have the right people in the right places.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't don't overlook. Sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll hire a person and they're, they're they're good, but they're just not the right fit for the job. Is there another place in your organization that you can use them? Or if somebody's got some experience, keep that in mind and move them into it. Don't be afraid to give people responsibility. Um, you know, good, good hardworking people out there uh, sometimes are, are held back because there's nowhere to go because it's a small organization and the boss wants to do everything. I, I realized a long time ago... It's true. A lot of business owners will say, Hey, you know what? But nobody does it like me. You know, if I do it, it's going to be done right. And it's going to be done better. And you know what? That's absolutely true. But what I've learned is if I get somebody else to do it and it's maybe only 85, 90% of what I would do, well, that's okay because I didn't have to do it sure. so I can do something else. So if I want to finish at four o'clock, but I still want the job done the same as I'm going to do it Well, I can't have both. But if I get somebody else to do it, yeah, maybe I can take Friday afternoon off because there's costs to doing business. And as you expand a business, let's face it, you can't, you, you can be you and a helper and do everything else. But you know, as you, as you get bigger, we've only got two hands and two feet and so many hours in the day. So we can't do everything. And when you try to do everything, well then you get a breakdown you know, you get a breakdown with your health or you get a breakdown in your family because something's got to give, right? So it's important to strike that work-life balance for yourself, but also for your employees. Well, you were saying about getting a material, let's say from your spot to
1: the US or wherever quickly. Well, you know, rather than model your entire business after, you know, how you learned or how you want it made, there is the Amazon model. This is what people want. And what you're in is, it has to be fast and perfect. That's what they're looking for. Something fast. Get it to me quick. Here's my money, and I don't want to return it. Let's, let's. Do you have a situation where I mean, you must obviously had returns. Is that a big chunk? That seems like that's going to be pretty taxing on anybody. The return part of it. We
0: don't really have any returns because we're really clear up front, and our and our online business is not really geared for the retail customer. It's not really geared for the DIYer. It's it's geared for the wood flooring professional. so you know what? If you order four quarts of antique brown stain, and it turns out you need chestnut, you're probably just going to keep the the quarts of the antique because you're going to use it eventually. Sure. You know, you buy a, a roll of sandpaper. You use a roll of sandpaper. The guys are used to that. Um, we're not selling. You know, to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, where they're like, oh, you know, I have an extra gallon of finish. I don't need it. Uh, we, we we sort of say that right up front. So, I mean, our, our site is clearly, and we have to do that for compliance issues in Canada, in our province. You know, these are for professional use only. They're labeled as such. So we're pretty clear up front. Um, and that site is geared to the wood flooring professional. It's not geared toward the retail customers, so we don't get a lot of returns. You know, sometimes we'll get mistakes where couriers are famous for running over boxes, or and you know what, we got to eat those mistakes because, you know, they're not they're not the client's fault, they're not our fault, but somebody's got to pay. And couriers are are not the uh, the nicest when it comes to handling those claims, but that's just part of the cost of business. We don't have it happen a lot, but when it happens, we take care
1: of it. Well, there are certain couriers; they have giant plastic bags that somehow have their Thoroughly written instructions on what you screwed up, that they put their boxes in and hand you leave on your doorstep.
0: <laughs> yeah, one so, side,
1: yeah. one complete fits all. So what about? Um, so I know years ago when I was in a similar situation where you can't they can't always get everything you were looking for. Back when there might have been a distributor with wood, but they may or may not have had the products you were looking for to install, sand, finish the the nails, the cleats, the poly, etc. Um, so. I remember there was floor-style products. Everybody knew floor-style products. They were like the Sears and Roebuck. They had a catalog. You could order your stuff. Um, and you know sometimes it was just a convenience. And then you'd fill out a form and mail it in. And years later, yeah. you could fax it in and you could write your, your credit card number. How does the marketing work for you now? It's got to be vastly different. I'm sure you're not mailing it out $100 catalogs. It is, but you know catalogs. what? Those
0: guys, those guys were on to something. They really were were because they were, they were probably just about 15 years, 20 years ahead of their time because now where's the market? You know, people are ordering groceries at home. I, I mean, you can get on your phone, you know what, honey, we're out of lettuce. You know, you throw money at the problem, lettuce will be there in half an hour. I mean, so, you know, the market has changed. And as I said, with COVID it even changed exponentially more. People are much more willing to do that online experience thing, um, and people are realizing, you know, even though there's a delivery fee involved, you know what? It's actually cheaper for me because if I've got to drive from my house across the city to pick up two gallons of finish, with the price of fuel these days, that's not cheap either. Sure. You know, you're sitting in traffic, you're wasting time, and you know, you're, you're I guess, up where you guys are you're paying almost. What was it four dollars a gallon now or something like that? Uh, it
1: went f- almost well. No, it was four seventy nine today. I was thrilled to get it for four nineteen. So yeah, yeah it's been so. Insane. And we're in the
0: same boat here. I mean, right now gas is about a dollar seventy five, a dollar eighty a liter. So there's almost four liters in a gallon. So, People that are be an persistent
1: idea. and they're creative. I re- I was in Florida when COVID hit and almost couldn't get back home. And I remember um, ordering a pizza. And it had become, wow, what do we do? Where do we go? We couldn't go to the beaches. We were escorted off of the beaches by the DPW. And I remember uh, a restaurant said, just put a chair up front. So ordered pizza, pay with a credit card. They would drive up, throw it on the chair, beep their horn, and gone. That, that, or you could yeah. go to a restaurant. They would go out to the back of the parking lot, tell you to open your trunk, and they would throw the food in your trunk. I think that we all, I know I have, I, you, you had to have had, learned some lessons from COVID. I picked up some pretty good tips. Like we wouldn't have a podcast if it wasn't for you know COVID and trying to figure out how to communicate with people. And for me to go and do floor consulting and look at somebody's situation and visually see what was going on, and then even maybe write or talk about it. You had to pick up a few things from this whole COVID mess.
0: Yeah, 100%. I, you know, One of the things that I made sure to do during COVID, because hey, you know, everybody took a slowdown at some point. You know, for some, it was longer than others. For other industries, it could have been devastating. Like you say, in the restaurant industry, they were they, were, they were really struggling. But, you know, here the government did pass out a lot of free money. You know, they tried to support small and medium-sized business. And, you know, whether you agreed with the policies or you didn't, there, there were funds made available to small businesses. And, and, and that happened here, too. But during that time, our sales were down, but I gave all that money back to my guys. I, I topped up their salaries and everything like that to make sure that they weren't going to take a hit because I knew at some point the market's going to come back. And if you if your guys are upset with you then, then you're starting all over again. So, you know, I could have put that money in the bank and maybe done Stuff, but we did, you know, even we did some showroom renovations. I got my guys; they weren't doing anything, so we did a big showroom renovation. It needed it. We took that time, um, and I, I made sure that they had work, even though we really weren't had didn't have a lot of revenue coming in, or at least not as much as we did, uh, you know, pre-pandemic. So that that was important, you know. But learning that, making sure, and we also spent money on marketing. We continue to spend money on marketing. Because the first name that's going to pop into somebody's head when things turn around is going to be the one they've heard when times are tough. So you it's said marketing's people. like air, correct? Yeah, it is. I mean, you always need it, right? Yeah. You, you, you can't do without sales is always blaming marketing that they don't have uh, any sales, but you, know, you need to market 100% every day, all day. It's always the first budget to get slashed, and I never understood that. Well,
1: it was the biggest joke in college, right? They said, well, if you don't know what you're doing, just declare marketing. And I remember running business with my father, then my first business, other businesses. And businesses that I watched that had everything, when they suffered and struggled, it's because they had the philosophy, well, we're making so much money, we don't need to market. And then when they had no money, they said, we have no money for marketing. You've got to be in the consumer's mind at all times. And I've seen some incredibly brilliant people start practices, law practices, medical practice that fell apart, because they don't know how to bring in business and maintain customers. And I I believe it was you that said, you know, people are your greatest asset. That's, that's exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, they are. I mean, everything really at the end of the day is a people business, right? Um, You know, there's somebody at the end, who's a person who has likes and dislikes and a personality that's going to buy your product. So the, on the other end, you've got people that work for you that have likes and dislikes and personalities, and they're trying to sell them a product. If the two people aren't working together, then the product's not going to change hands. So you, you got to make sure uh, both ends, the people on both ends of that uh, equation, uh, are, are are the right fit uh, for you. And sometimes that might be just telling a client, you know what, this job's not for us. Uh, I I've learned that so many times. You know, you get these big jobs, but you. When you a lot of the times when you feel, you know what, this job just doesn't seem like it's going to go well. Uh, in my experience, just let it go yeah. because if it doesn't, if you don't start with the, if, you, if you're not gelling with your client and you're having disagreements before the contract's even signed, it's not going to get any better. Well, isn't that the, that's a real biggie it was when I was in retail too. It's
1: just meeting customers' expectations sometimes they're very unrealistic or they're not technically sound or that that's got to be difficult for what you're doing there are different levels of expectations
0: yeah and these days too we live in an instant world we live in uh, well we live in a world there where is there's companies like amazon there's companies like costco right and they're just like well if you're not happy don't pay us. you know just take it it's free now you know everybody thinks uh, you know everything's a pizza You know, if it's if it takes longer than it was supposed to, it must be free. If I'm not happy with it, it's free. We're in a we're in an industry that just just doesn't work. You know, there's if a job's not perfect, it's not perfect, but it doesn't make it have no value. Uh, So it's not going to be free. And you know what? Sometimes we don't get it right, and we need to own up to our mistakes, and we need to compensate a customer for something that went wrong. But the problem is, so many customers today just the the distance between what they think the job is worth at the end and what you've charged for it are vastly different. You know, um, you know, so I had a client a, a little while ago, and you know, the their job wasn't perfect, and they expected all their money back. But it's I'm trying to explain to them, the job does isn't perfect, but there's a long way between perfect and va- like no value. You're saying it's worth nothing just because you're not happy. Right. That's that's a really hard road to cross when you get
1: there you didn't come back and remove my and put my refrigerator back so i i don't want to pay for the entire floor we we have people do that they they won't pay their invoice or their bill they say because well i have a box of wood that i want to return i want you to come pick it up well you know we're,
0: yeah. politely we're not a we had a, we service. had a we had a client uh, a few years ago where we we hooked up the big machine and instantly power no power and my guy goes down in the basement, there's literally smoke and flames coming out of the panel. Now we haven't touched the pen. We haven't done anything with the panel. We've simply moved the stove out and hooked up to the stove. So the guy pulls up the panel, shuts down the power, we call the client and say, listen, you've got an electrical problem in your house here. There's some kind of faulty wiring or something. You'll need to get that attended to. So anyway, they weren't happy. week goes by two weeks go by they wanted us to pay for the food that was in their freezer that didn't have electricity and they're telling us we tried to burn their house down. all we did was plug something into a wall we did you the courtesy of going into the basement turning off the main electrical panel so that your house didn't burn down but somehow we're responsible
1: so yeah you said it when we were kids remember the, the policy in any store was uh, you break it, you pay for it. And I remember I was in industrial sales and uh, hardware and, and that, when I was a kid before I get into flooring and um, this place opened up the road called Home Depot. actually it was there were several before that and it evolved into Home Depot and I remember I, I bought a toilet I was installing it and I, I tightened it before I had filled it and I tightened it too much and I broke it. So I brought the broken one back and said, here, I need this. And he goes, oh yeah, just go, you know, throw it on the pile. And I got ready to pay for a new toilet. No, free. They just gave me one. Eh, Don't worry about it. We'll throw that in a pile. And it became that Home Depot mentality in our industry for years. Well, what are you going to do about it? And I know we broke it, but what are you going to give me free? And as you know, in especially online or anything else, you're in business and nobody's in, in business to just give things away for free. We don't, it, it it sets a really bad precedent for the value for what you're doing, especially
0: in labor. Yeah, 100%. I mean, when it's a product, I mean, it, it's costly, but it, it, it feels worse when it's your labor, when you've worked so hard with a client to try and overcome obstacles, because not every job goes perfect. So you try to work through some of the caveats and, you know, every house is different. You know, all of a sudden we're inheriting all of the, uh, the poorly done renovations previous to us and everything like that. And you work so hard to get it through. And then they're just like, well, no, I'm not happy.
1: Right. Sorry. Yeah. You know? I, I remember the first time I went to court um, over a floor and uh, I got in there and the judge bangs his gavel and says, we're going to take a 15 minute reason. I mean, we just walked in and he said, there's a couple types type of people here I want to explain this morning. You're either here for a legitimate reason and we're going to sort that out where you were here looking for something for nothing. If you're here looking for something for nothing, you're going to have a big problem with me. Recess. Go work it out amongst yourselves. I'm going to be proud of you people that come in back here and don't waste my time. And there were a couple people that came in and said, your honor, we got this figured out. Other people he was not happy with. For you know, um, you, you, you showed up late three times, so I shouldn't have to pay for my kitchen set or whatever it might be. You spoke in an article that that, that uh, in Woodford Magazine where you had talked about you know people like to be treated like VIPs, not just your customers,
0: your people, you, your staff, everything. It Pays off, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Um, it's nice, you know. Sometimes we'll get into a situation where the, in the showroom where we just have more people coming in than we have salespeople. So, you know, you don't want to ignore those people. Hey, just I'm sorry, I'm with another client. Can I make you a coffee? You know, make them a coffee, make them sit at ease, and absolutely. But one of the big things we started doing with COVID is we just started asking people to make an appointment. Sure. You know, we had to do it during COVID because of the local laws basically said, you know, you can only have so many people in the building. They're trying to limit, uh, you know, how many people are in a confined space. But we do it to this day. We ask people, if you arrive, we'll help you but if you arrive at the same time as somebody else that's got an appointment the person with the appointment has you know gets gets served first it's such a you know i can't believe i didn't do it earlier it's so smart to do that it's not because you're trying to be elitist you just want to make sure that you can provide the level of service that that client wants it also gives you the opportunity to have a conversation with them and say hey bring some drawings you know bring some measurements if you've got a an idea in mind bring that magazine let's look at it let's see what we can do um it, it makes people feel better they get better service because we don't overload our showroom you know we can stagger things if people were planning on coming at eight and you tell them hey i've got two customers eight can you come at nine they got no problems with that do and you, it, everybody's happy
1: do, do you need a large facility or is it just you you, you
0: no. wouldn't know right but it's a function of, you know, on a Saturday afternoon in the summertime, for example, uh, I got two salespeople that work every set. So two customers come in, they're both occupied. Now, I can put four people on, but then I have some days where I've got two guys sitting there, you know, surfing the Internet. It happens. We're slow. I'd rather them use their time more wisely, but it is what it is, right? So... You, you don't know how busy you're going to be. You know, it, it's always the same situation. You know, it, it, what they say if it rains, it pours. If things don't, everybody that's run a showroom is experienced. You know, I got 15 people in the showroom and then I got four hours of nobody in the showroom. Sure. We just try and spread that out a little bit. Make sure that everybody gets the time and, and uh, attention they need. Everybody feels like, hey, they're important. I mean, they, you know, we took time just for you. For your online customers, do you have
1: to carry a large inventory?
0: We always have, you know. We're in a very competitive market. Sure. Um, a lot of people don't realize that Toronto is the fourth largest city in North America. So Chicago and Toronto are they go neck and neck for number four as far as population in all of North America. So we're a big city, um, and to be competitive in a big city, you need to be priced right. So we've always been volume buyers, you know, for all of our sundries we we place bulk orders we do our best i mean these days prices are going up so often we try to stay a price increase ahead it saves our our, our contractors money it saves our clients money but it also allows us to, to to be competitive with the other guys in in our big city. so do you have to do a lot of deliveries or no um if we do deliveries we always charge for them so our local deliveries we just mark it up 5%, 6%. We've got some good local delivery guys. You know, I know a lot of flooring companies do their own deliveries, but, you know, there's always one of those things where you assume liability as soon as you start doing, you know, deliveries. And there are delivery companies that are insured as delivering companies, you know, when they, when they pull, bring that six foot box or seven foot box into the living room and knock over the Ming vase, their insurance covers that. I'm a flooring guy. My insurance company's like, well, why were you doing a delivery? <laughs> You're a sure. flooring guy. So we leave that to them. We have, I mean, we do do it in a pinch. We have, you know, delivery vehicle. We have a guy that can do that. We do pickups as well, but that's where, you know, that's the emergency situation. I don't have a guy out there that just does deliveries. Um, there's guys that do that and they're good at it, let them do it. And then we just pass that cost on to the customer.
1: We're in the, um, in the industry, uh, let's say in the wood flooring registry, etc. Where do where do they plop you as
0: as distributor, retailer, wholesaler? Usually, as a distributor. True. Um, yeah, we 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 buy a lot of most of the things that we stock. We buy in volume. So the only thing like we we used to stock a lot of items, but what we realized a long time ago is, you know. XYZ manufacturer has a deal on pre-finished uh, two and a quarter maple, and they're like, "You pick the color, and we'll give you two truckloads, and we'll give you this amazing price." You think I can pick the right color? No. <laughs> <You> know, right? <laughs> it's impossible, right? <laughs> and what happens is you do that, so you end up with this great product, great price, and then you end up with 120 square feet left over. What are you going to do with 120 square feet? So then you end up either selling that at a vast discount, or it ends up kicking around the warehouse to the point where it's all beat up and you just wrote off 120 square feet. So at the end of the day, your margins got cut even further because everything now for our, for our clients is all cut orders. And it has to be now to so many co- manufacturers are six, eight weeks out. So that's been the nice thing about COVID too. You know, the haggle is gone from the market. Sure. It used to be, you know, a client would come in and say, hey, I want uh, this uh, this Mirage floor. I want this, uh, you know, vintage floor. And, you know, everybody kind of could get it. So you started competing for price. Now we're like, we can get it for you. It'll be six to eight weeks. And this is the price. And they'll be like, well, the store down the road says they can get the same product for me and they can get it for me in two weeks. <laughs> I'm just like, listen, here's the production sheet for that company. Mm -hmm. You see where the date is, where your product is. So you can buy it from the guys down the road and they can tell you four times that your product will be there in two weeks, or I can just tell you now it'll be there in eight weeks Sure, and it's done. Thanks for being honest with me. Appreciate it. You know, thanks for your service. Here's my deposit. So we'd all
1: like things to move a little quicker. I mean, it is, it is nice that flooring is $6 a foot because in the next few years, if it goes back to three, it's going to be hard to, you know, make up that volume, but I think one of the things we've talked about, I think it's been fantastic, is for decades and decades, flooring people worked for about a $1 dollar to a dollar fifty a foot, some people a dollar seventy five, and finally three fifty, four dollars, five dollars a foot, which they do get in metropolitan areas like LA and DC, et cetera. But you think when this goes and, and flooring moves back down to something like at the 359, 360 level, et cetera. These guys are not going to drop their pricing for the first time for their trade and their craft, which no one is out learning. They're getting paid well for it. God bless. Yeah, it's
0: always it's always boggled my mind, you know, um, being a wood flooring guy, of course, anytime I did a house or my family did a house, yeah, we do our own installations, of course, why wouldn't we, right? But every time, you know, I need, a, I need some ceramic done in my laundry room. I do some ceramic in my kitchen. I'm not a ceramic guy, so... I know guys in that trade, so you don't know, call them up. How much a square foot to install this my ceramic? Oh, five, six dollars a square foot. I, I know it's a different trade, and maybe there's a little bit more work, but not that much. I'm charging two dollars a square foot to install a, a wood floor, and you're charging five dollars, and it's more now, five dollars a square foot to install tile. I, I don't understand things here. Sure. You know, you're right. You know, wood flooring has for some reason always been the, the, the low margin item. And I don't know why. I mean, flooring installers are tradesmen like anybody else. Um, you know, anybody can swing a hammer and use a table saw, but not everybody can put down, you know, a seven inch wide pre-finished floor in a, you know, in a kitchen and around cabinetries and, you know, a lot of houses these days, you got curved staircases. You can tell the bad installers. You go in there, and the quarter round's cut in twelve different pieces to make it around the corner. You know, gaps uh, all over the place. But it takes them
1: thirty test cuts to figure out the right angles on a compound miter. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and you can you can be a, a fine wood craftsman and probably navigate putting you in a floor, but don't don't tell me you're going to learn to sand overnight because that's a disaster.
0: Yeah, sanding and finish is it seems like it's always a moving uh, target. You know, just when you think you you've figured out the the latest uh, uh fail on a job, you get one that you've never seen before and you've been doing it for 30 40 years. It's yeah. Sanding and finishing a of, is uh, uh, amazing stuff.
1: I do a lot of flooring mysteries with, with floor business and online and it's cuz they just don't stop coming that there's always somebody finds a new way and you know, you give them credit. They're they're really out there trying and they feel, not only are they confident, but now they have the internet. So they know, well, I'll just watch on the internet. But a lot of what's on the internet isn't even right. Uh, There are people with hand, Makita, belt sanders cross-grinding a floor. They're going to do the whole floor on their hands and knees. And then you see somebody with a tilt sander and somebody... uh, I've seen professional shows where they're sanding and edging and you see a little belt sander. They cut to the commercial, come back, and you know somebody had an argument. Because now... There's an industrial edger in the corner and the room looks great. And nobody's explaining where that edger and the guy in the back that knows what he's doing just came from. Cause that is not the guy that started the project. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, understood. I, I mean, I've seen some pretty crazy jobs and yeah, it's so I've seen, I've seen people that have had three quarter inch flooring resanded and refinished. It was only the second time it was ever done. And that floor needs to be ripped out because the, the gouge marks in it and the sander marks in it are just so bad that you'd be there for a month and you'd lose half the floor just trying to get, a, get, a, get it flat again.
1: Oh, I once put my equipment in my my father's house and I said, oh, I'm, I miss, I was missing a few things. So I went down to, to get some more supplies. I came back and he, was sand, he had my sander. He was sanding the floor. No bag on it. No headset. And you know what he's doing? He was like it was a Hoover. He's like, the drum is full <laughs> bore down. He's going left, right, 45, 15 degrees, all over like like he was vacuuming a carpet. It's just eating flooring everywhere. And you know how he stopped the machine? He shut it off and it just wound down grinding into the floor. Yeah. I'm like, Dad, I got, I got this. <laughs> now I really don't got this because I have to redo this whole floor now. So yeah. we, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff. You wear a lot of hats at what you do. Of everything that you do, is there part of your job in your business that's your favorite part to do that you focus in
0: on every day? I really like the market. I like marketing. Yeah, I, I like I like delivering the message um, about what we do. I, I like bringing products to market too. I've had some experience. You know, we need this product. Um, we want to bring it to market. Where we're, we're, we're going to, you know, when I did la- that laminate line for out of China, you know, I spec that product. I learned a lot. About how to design a product, uh, a lot. Of, it's a lot of marketing too, because you're you know, you're developing a brand. We, we developed a whole brand uh, on what it would look like, uh, everything like that. I, I like that aspect of the business, and, and I, that's why I'm passionate about marketing because it's important. You know, if you don't, if you can't stand out from your competition, uh, you're only going to go so far. You're just going to get whatever falls off the table. But if you if you can communicate what you do better or communicate what you do better than other people, you're going to, you're going to be at the table and you're going to be, you're going to be eating, uh, eating with the rest of the big boys, but otherwise you're just taking whatever falls off.
1: In your e-commerce, what's your, what are your go-to tools? Uh, social media, what, what, what is the package that seems to work the best for you? Or what are you using?
0: Digital is really the way to go. Um, For a a long time, probably for 15, 20 years in our local area, we promoted our business and we built our brand uh, using radio advertising. And I just, about, I guess about a year ago, I just decided, you know what, we're not going to do radio anymore. But you know what we're doing? We're doing doing radio advertising on the digital platform. So if you have a Spotify free account, well, that's where you're going to hear about us. Because we're doing radio ads in there. And the nice thing about digital, it's so uh, versatile. You know, that's why podcasts have become so huge in the last five or six years. Um, You know, some of the big guys out there, the big uh, lettermans of the world and stuff like that, they're doing podcasts. Because they can sell a 30-second ad five times on the same place in the same podcast. You know what? We digitally, we know we have a thousand user listeners in New York, and we have a thousand in in California. We're going to sell that same ad space to both California and to New York. Sure. Um, but as a as a as a as a person that's investing in that type of advertising, I can be super specific. I can say, hey, you know what? I want to I want to market my business to this specific area of uh, of Toronto, by postal code. By, you know, people's IP address shows up. It doesn't tell them exactly where they are, but it gives you a geographic area. So for big name brands, you know, they can say, hey, you know what? Our product's doing great in these five states, but for some reason we're not getting any traction in wherever, Utah. Well, they can digitally advertise just to Utah. So that that's an amazing thing about digital. Um, it really gives you, and it's much cheaper. I mean, we we can do Exponentially more advertising uh, digitally than we could with just the traditional, you know, radio print sort of advertising.
1: Everything's at everybody's convenience. I was uh, watching an interview about like, late night wars, you know, all the different late night shows, and they were asking, Why don't you uh, folks seem to be attacking and going after each other? And they'd say, Well, I watch so and so's show, and he watches my show because we don't have to do it at midnight. We don't even have to use those time slots. We create them, we air them, and people don't even watch them. They wait till it's at their convenience, or they wait like a Saturday Night Live. They wait to hear what the crowd response was, and they say, oh, you really got to see what happened last night, and they can go watch it at their convenience. It's target yeah. marketing. There's a lot that they can do with that.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Well, it's fascinating what you're able to do today and, and with the change. What is it like with... You competitively, where how, how do you handle that? Is there
0: a lot of it, or there really, like you said, it's there's it's there, there is. I sort of got to the point quite a while ago, you know, early on when I was, you know, when I took over from my dad, you get a bunch of you know, industry guys in the same room, um, some of which are your competitors, and everybody's like, Hey, are you busy? How are you doing? Everybody's worried about. You know, are they doing better than you or are they doing, you know, where do you fit amongst everybody else? You know, I've just gotten to the point where it's like, you know what, I'm confident what we do is good. I know what, where I want to be, put your head down and go there. Sure. I mean, if it's not working change, but don't be worried about everybody else, what everybody else is doing. You know, it's like running a marathon. If you're focusing on the guy behind you or the guy to your right or the guy to your left, you're not going to make it to the end of that race. Focus on yourself and the finish line and get there. You know, we want to keep up to date on industry trends and things like that. But don't over, don't be overly worried about your competition. It doesn't breed a good business. You know, if you're looking across the street and the guy across the street's 20 cents cheaper and you're 20 cents cheaper and the guy down the road's got a, this product and you're chasing that product, you're just going to you know, frustrate yourself and, you know, end up with less money and more headaches at the end of the day, do what you want to do, do what you feel is going to be good for your business. Choose the product lines that you feel you're going to get the support from and just do it and charge what you need to charge. And, you know, if you need to adjust, you adjust, but don't, don't need your, and all decisions that are made on a knee jerk reaction. Like I said, you know, the guy down the road's got the same product for 50 cents cheaper. I'm going to drop my price.
1: Right. No,
0: it, you know, it doesn't work in the long term.
1: When it, you know what you'll never go back. Once you head down that road there's no turning back from that. Well, you know Yeah, th- and it's it's not
0: the kind of market we want it to be in ever, so.
1: Now, you know, uh, Tim, we had talked on the phone a couple times. I so said, well, you know, don't worry about it because we're only going to talk 10 minutes and I told you when we're done it'll be an hour and 10 minutes. Um I appreciate you coming on with me and talking about what Chuck Let me, can I run through some just quick-fire questions and then we'll sure, wrap let's it up do it. and I'm going to throw them at you, you answer them as quick as you can, and they go something like this. If you
0: weren't in this industry, what would you have been doing? Um, To be honest with you, I probably would have been a photojournalist. I like excitement, I like adventure, and I like taking pictures, so I'd probably be a photojournalist. How
1: about um, anyone that you respect and admire from the industry over your years in it? You got a guru there or, or a mentor?
0: You know what? I, I've never been one to really um. be, you know, I, I, my brother's always making fun of me because we'll be in Toronto and Toronto's a big city and there's a famous person. I don't even know who that is. You know, <laughs> I always just keep it to myself and the people around me. And you know what, if I respect you, you'll know it. And I don't know. I, I, I don't really get too involved in who's doing what, you know, just, have your own mentors. You know, my dad was a great mentor. He's the hardest worker I ever knew. But I learned a lot from what he couldn't do. And he wasn't the greatest business person. But I'm telling you, that man had the best work ethic that I could ever find. So for, take positives from people you know, but also learn from their mistakes, because that way you don't have to make them.
1: Gotcha. Is there something that you would like to change in our industry?
0: Um. I'd like, I, I notice online a lot where, um, you know, a lot of these online forums, people are bashing other people's work. You know, a client will will put up a floor and say, hey, uh, would you guys accept this floor? And everybody's like, no, no, that floor is crap. I would never leave a floor like that. You know what, guys? <laughs> Next week, it's going to be you whose pictures of a floor are up there. And the fool story's not there. We're all on the same team. Let's, let's realize that, you know, we all have good jobs that we're super proud of, and we all have jobs that, hey, it didn't go quite perfect. Don't beat up on each other. There's sometimes a lot more going on in the background of that picture than meets the eye. So let's not fight with each other. we got to work together as an industry, uh, support each other, and try and help each other. Just stop being so critical of other people's work. Just try, stop trying to elevate yourself by stepping on other people. All right. How about, how is Woodchuck as a company impacting your life or other people's lives? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm i happy where our business is right now. I'm happy where I am. I've taken a step back. I work 90% from home. I've got good guys. I like to think they're happy working for me. I like to think that I treat them well. Um, and, and, I, and I look forward to at some point passing the reins on to you know, either another generation or even maybe one of my key guys, uh, because, you know, we worked hard and it's, uh, it's something we're proud of. So last question, Tim Nassus,
1: which Chuck floors in your home, where you are right now, carpet, you got carpet in that place somewhere? I, I got area rugs, but it's all hard. Well, there you go. See, you're good. <laughs> well, yeah. listen, I tell you what, I really, really appreciate taking uh, time to chat with me and, and, you know, the model that you have for business is just different than most people's, And it's fascinating to hear how some of that works for you and how you've got all this coming together. Uh, again, uh, super appreciate your time. It was a great meeting with you and talking with you. Likewise. Appreciate it, Stephen. All right, Tim. Well, listen, you take care and we will talk soon. You too. Take care.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Wood Floor, sponsored by Woodchuck Flooring and customer service experts with 52 years under their tool belts. Before you go, don't forget to rate this podcast and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.